0: Hey, what's going on? It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who, of course, also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. ccom We are coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at dot 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber
1: text line. What's going on? What's going on, Drance? Well, I'm excited for night. It's going to be a huge game. It is. The stakes are massive. But we can get into that in headlines. Let's let's get to the board.
0: We'll go right into the whiteboard as we do every day here on the show. Let's hear it.
1: All right, fellas, let's fuck up, huh? So for headlines, I'd like to start us out. Tonight, the Vegas Golden Knights roll into town defending Stanley Cup champions. And it's an epic clash for second in the Pacific (laughs) by point percentage. Well, hold on now. What? I don't know. I'm looking at the NHL
0: standings here. Vegas, 32 points. Vancouver, 31 points in the Pacific. Right. If Vancouver wins, they'll have more points than Vegas. Yeah. But they'll be above them in the standings, or in first neither, place.
1: But neither team with a win can catch L.A. .725 point percentage. They will remain in first in I the Pacific. Know. I'm just saying, when I, call up, when I call up the NHL standings tomorrow, yeah, it'll display it, it incorrectly <laughs> because it doesn't <laughs> well, you, sort it by point percentage. you take that up with the league. Well, I don't have to. The league <laughs> took it up with itself. What does the league do when two teams are tied in points, but one team has fewer games played? They, they But this is not that situation. This is a separate situation where but the teams aren't tied in points. Built into the standings, the NHL has already shown you what they think about point percentage. And, of course, when the league paused, they used point percentage to determine the standings with unequal games played that precedent is strong it's a, a precedent and a one off literally once in a lifetime scenario no but it's a it's the league told us that the fairest way to determine standings with unequal games played is point percentage i use it all the time in season i wish the standings reflected it they should they don't unfortunately <laughs> no i know but i'm going to continue to insist <laughs> I- Forever and on, and it's going to annoy everybody. <laughs> but you true. know what? Think about it this way. There's a situation at the end of the night where it'll be like, eh, Canucks. So, so what? They're, they're not second by it. <laughs> It's still amazing, man. Yeah. Look, any <laughs> of it's still amazing. I'm, I'm,
0: uh, I'm poking the bear here on purpose because I truly don't really care about this semantic <laughs> argument. I wasn't even really aware. Like, it hadn't clocked uh, for me that it was a battle for first place. Me Until, neither. until you started complaining about people
1: calling it a battle I, for I first place. I woke up, I woke up, and Joey Kenward had tweeted about it. And I woke up, I looked at it in my phone, and I was like, oh, it's going to be nails on a chalkboard <laughs> for me all day. <laughs> Which isn't to call out Joey Kenward. It's just that I think point percentage uh. is the best way to do this. I'm going to keep insisting on it no matter what the situation. And I hope, I hope there's going to be a moment where it favors the Canucks so I can show people that it's not a bit. This is just how I view reality. Well, I just
0: wanted to add to the I, – I wanted to scrape my nails along the chalkboard uh, one, one last time and you for you. So. But no matter – whether you're looking at points, whether you're looking at points percentage, this is a big game. It's a huge and game. It, Look, we we talked about it last week of Colorado. This is a quote-unquote measuring stick, litmus test, whatever you want to call it. It's that yes. type of game against the defending Stanley
1: Cup champions in the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, and let's, be, let's be clear. You don't get a cookie for being first in the standings in the Pacific Division at the end of November. Like, no one's getting a biscuit. No one's getting a treat. There's no stakes to being first as the nhl.coms. It just maybe it makes you feel a little better when you look in the morning and you're like, "Huzzah." But come on, it doesn't matter. No, but it doesn't matter until game 82, which well, is why look, point percentage should be fair. Yeah, but again, my, my point is that your point or your point percentage. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> but regardless
0: of whether it's for first place or second or whatever. It's a huge game. It's an important game. Yeah. And it's a game, I
1: think, where we can learn a lot more about the Canucks than we can in games against the Sharks and the Ducks. Well, and it's fascinating, too, because both of these teams, through 10 games, were just, like, picking their teeth with everyone who came at them. And then over the last 10, they're sort of both nope. pacing at about a 500 rate. So right? the
0: Vegas started on fire 11-0-1, since then 3-5-3. and Right. So they've slowed down actually more than the Canucks
1: have slowed have, down. But they're banking a lot of points. They're yep. managing their losses. They are, yeah. So the question is, does Shea Theodore's departure from the lineup, and he won't play tonight, mm-hmm. mean that much to them that they're, like, vulnerable? Are they meaningfully vulnerable at five-on-five, five, or is this a KG defending champ that just sort of delayed their their Stanley Cup hangover? Like, they had one of those hangovers where you wake up and go for a run, and then become <laughs> a, a waste of space the rest of the day. Um there is some <laughs> uncharacteristic. They cleaned un-character- the house <laughs> yeah. and now they're lying. <laughs> they were in bed. running on adrenaline still. Right. Like they got so, some things done. And, and like I don't know. Nap. I don't know, you know. I, I struggle with what Vegas is because their five on five profile Like, under the hood, they are not an elite team this year. Yeah, which is very uncharacteristic for Vegas,
0: right? Not just in their Stanley Cup winning year, but they've been an elite five-on-five shooting, like, uh,
1: shot-share team, shot-attempt-share team. Ever since they came came into the league. Yeah, Yeah. and, and, you know, losing Riley Smith hurts because he's an excellent two-way forward. Mm -hmm. Losing Shea Theodore hurts because he's one of the best play drivers from the back end in the league. But I don't find those compelling enough explanations for the softness in this team's five-on-five form Which causes me to lean pacing themselves. Yeah. But if that's not the case, like, if that's not the case, then they're vulnerable tonight. Then they're vulnerable tonight, especially against a Canucks team that, you know, has had their fair share of tough bounces. They've regressed pretty significantly over the last 10 games. Mm -hmm. They're still the NHL's most fortunate team by combined five-on-five shooting percentage and save percentage. But this team's been getting it done without the proverbial wind at their back without running yes. downhill. Uh-huh. I'm starting to get made fun of, by the way, for saying those things too much, so I wanted to Gotta get in. in. Yeah. Got to get him in. Yeah. Got to get him um, in. No, but they've been getting results. They've at least been tracking 500 um, with the bounces beginning to go against them over the last 10. So, you know, this is a really fascinating one. Is If Vegas is a sleeping giant, you'd think that that giant would wake up to try to swat away an upstart team in a divisional matchup tonight. Maybe we see Vegas at, you know, uh, like, Fully unfurl, sort of the the bag of whoop. Um, I always I always the struggle. Whoop. I always struggle with whether or not I can say ass on the radio. But um I think you can. I can for sure. The bag of whoop ass uh, tonight, or or maybe maybe that's this just isn't the same Vegas team that stormed through the playoffs last year. In which case, this is a pretty intriguing opportunity for the Canucks to topple yet another preseason Stanley Cup. There's actually uh, there's
0: actually a lot of similarities. Not I don't think stylistically between the two teams, but if you look at just their kind of underlying numbers and how they're getting results mm. this year, because Vancouver actually has better shot attempt share at 5-on-5 five five than Vegas, and Vegas is below average, but not like bottom of the league or anything. But then you look at what they're doing well, and, you know, Vegas has... Above average special teams and has mm-hmm. gotten really, really good goaltending. Yes, especially at five of five on five, right? And you know we know what the formula is with the Canucks. If they can kind of break even at five on five, they don't have to be an elite shot shot uh, shot control team. They can, but then they you have on their the special play. teams and or the power play specifically and their goaltending. And that's kind yeah. of been the recipe for Vegas uh, this year. As Although well. Vegas penalty killing is better, right? Yeah, but. But Vancouver's power play is better. Well, sure. You know what I mean? So it kind of equals out. Like, overall strengths on the on the special teams kind of equal yep. out. And then the the really good goaltending uh, from Aiden Hill in particular this year. Showing that the playoffs, not necessarily a fluke for Aiden Hill. No.
1: Last year. He has been very, very good. Well, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be – it's one thing to get hot for two months, even when the chips are down in the playoffs. And it's another to be – a marathon runner over yep. the course of a long season. What Hill is doing as a marathon runner to this point, I you know, we, we probably need to see it for another couple months before we say this, but it's got the opportunity to be even more impressive, if if less impactful and memorable than what he did in the. And I
0: season. will say, as much as there's some similarities in those profiles, we know stylistically Vegas has given the Canucks all sorts of problems. Yeah. Right. And uh, especially in this building. Even if you think Vegas is not as daunting as they were last year or in previous seasons, I think that stylistic difference and the way it challenges Vancouver is still going to be really fascinating to watch.
1: This is still the Babadook knocking on your door.
0: Yeah. And especially when we think about you know, what Rick Talkin has had to say about their five-on-five offense, what we've talked about, right, getting to those dangerous areas, like the big, bad Vegas Golden Knights come in and they're tough, they're physical from the back end. That's going to be a challenge tonight. I think
1: that's something that really uh, bears watching yeah. tonight. And well, And just one last thing is that Vegas, when they're going, and they haven't been going of late, but when they are going, they are super disciplined about creating – offense five-on-five yep. five with just a mess of quality looks and their ability to disrupt the breakout, right? Which, for Vancouver, when you've got Hughes and Hironic on the ice is one thing, but when you've got the other pairs on the mm-hmm. ice, I think is a different thing. Those are sort of the two things I'm looking for tonight. Is like, can the Canucks, especially in the non-Hughes-Hironic minutes, get out of their end clean, and can they keep up in terms of five-on-five five offense with what Vegas can manufacture – should they show up tonight at Rogers Arena and be at, be at their best? One other headline from yesterday, and it t- it will uh, lead us
0: directly into uh, discussing the rumors in the broadsheet segment of the whiteboard as well. But, of course, Patrick Alvine spoke to the media yesterday. You heard that audio on our show after we were off the air. Alvine went on Canuck Central. With Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah right here on Sportsnet 650, and I wanted to play a quick clip. Uh, Riccio asked him for any update on the Elias Pettersson contract negotiations. Here's what Alvin had to say on that. No, nope, no updates there. Nothing has, has really changed from from Oren. Uh We still have uh, another year uh, with his with his rights uh, as our RFA, so no, uh, nothing has changed from from end. So that I thought was really, really interesting. Your answer, even though he's saying there's no update, there's not. You know, it's not as if he's giving us a juicy look into where the negotiations are right now. But just what really struck me there was how similar that answer sounds from Patrick Galvin to something we would have heard in September or October before there was this little. I don't want to say maybe hint of optimism because I don't think there's been any pessimism around this situation. But you know, we had that little kind of news cycle of hey, they're talking, something could get done here. In that message, that answer from Alvin sounded very, very similar to answers from before that from earlier in the season, right? No update, no rush. He's an RFA. We have his rights for
1: another year after this one. Yeah, like it's a... And we we can get into this a little more shortly in the broadsheet, or we can just like transition this to the broadsheet, but there was this sense of optimism, but like the fundamental dynamic... Coming into this season, what made news in August was Peterson would prefer to wait. And then there seemed to be some momentum based on public reports. Mm-hmm. And then now it feels like we're back in stasis. Like It, do- it doesn't feel like the ground's shifted at all. We just haven't stopped talking about it. Is that your sense of this too now? Well, it sounded like the ground was shifting, right? Mm. Or at least that it
0: could be shifting, or that we should look out for it to be shifting, or something, right? But I agree with you. But it does seem like we're kind of back in the earlier holding pattern right now. And I know Rick Dollywall said what was uh, source told him to chill to on chill. This, right? There's there's work to be yeah. done here. If this isn't anything imminent or anything like that, even though the two sides are talking and chill, you know, we're
1: in we're in yeah, Vancouver, sir. We absolutely will not. <laughs> we will. A- no chance it's the the uh, would you would you ask me to to use the, the old standings without <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think i will. would, would- <laughs> yeah i no, absolutely not no, but it's honestly, it's like this is Vancouver man, yeah. We're avid discussers. That's what we do. But I
0: thought uh, I thought Chris Johnston, uh, your athletic colleague, in his right. piece up at the Athletic right now, had a pretty good rundown of kind of. And it's it's not necessarily re- it's not really reporting anything new, but it's just kind of resetting, unpacking it, yeah. unpacking. Okay, what are the dynamics here, and why is this going to be something that might linger, and why might Pedersen want to wait? And the the kind of key line from CJ is the player has the hammer here, one way or another, he's going to be among the top paid. In the sport, when all is said and done, and I think that's a really good way of summing it up. And you know, it's it's Alvina's, of course, absolutely correct that Pedersen's not a UFA after this year; he's going to be an RFA. And yet, when you just think about okay, if Pedersen wanted to play this in such a way to maximize his leverage, you know, what would that look like? And part of this is spelled out in CJ's piece, you know, he's going to have an extremely, extremely compelling arbitration case if, if he gets to this summer without a contract, you know, could be looking at $10 million or something on an arbitration award for next year, and then he'd have the chance to hit unrestricted free agency as a 26-year-old in an environment where the salary cap could be $90 million. And so I'm, I'm not saying that's where this is going and that's what he wants to do. My point is only to illustrate – we, you know, we throw around the word or the phrase like a player's betting on himself a lot. If Elias Pettersson wanted to do that, he would be betting with a very, very strong hand.
1: Plus 1,000.
0: Yeah, like a very, <laughs> very strong hand. And again, I'm not saying, oh, and therefore he's going to do that or that's why this is going. It's just that's the kind of fallback option for him, and it's a really strong one.
1: He would be the top player to hit unrestricted free agency in the cap hour, I think. You know, assuming that he's able Stamp to maintain. Coast? Yeah, But I mean, Stamkos would be the only other option, and he didn't actually make it to July 1. He s- went back to Tampa after being courted yeah. by, like, the mayor of Toronto and, like, <laughs> the bigwigs from Canadian Tire and being like, "Yeah, not for me. <laughs> Canadian Tire. That's true. Oh, that's that happened. That's, that was reported. That's so good. I, I think it was David Miller at the time. They yeah. literally, like, sat him down in there, like, pitching him with the mayor there, and he's like, this is weird. <laughs> don't care for this. <laughs> We go back to Florida. <laughs> so, you know, I, look, I think the, I, it, it's a really interesting point And, you know, the more you think about it, the more it sort of breaks your brain in terms of our usual discussion of player leverage, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is atomic level leverage in the event that Pedersen wants to exercise it. We don't have any reason to believe that he does that's necessarily. The thing, right? I think that's a really important caveat here. But right? the fact, the fact is, is that the closer you get, and we've, we, this is an old maxim that's, like, a little bit more, I, I think, thoughtful mm-hmm. than, than the players betting on themselves one, which is that the closer you get to that deadline from a player's perspective, the, the easier it sure. is to step over that yeah. breach.
0: Yeah. The, well, the less you risk, the closer you come. Right. Sure. The risk goes way down because you're not worried about injury. You're not worried about your performance as much hurting you. It's like you can see the finish line. You're like, well, I may as well just – I've come
1: this far. Yep. You know what I mean? I may as well just wait it out and see where it goes. Another thing I know you wanted to touch on on the broadsheet. Yeah, was, just quickly,
0: uh, just from Elliot Friedman and his written 32 thoughts, uh, which is the quote after the mobilier trade from Friege, is uh, the Canucks are going to scour the market for defense. Some names you've heard, some we haven't considered. And, of course, we've been locked in a lot on Zadorov, Tanev from Calgary. But I think it's a good point from Friedman. I mean, those are rentals. Those could be very expensive is this Canucks management group in a position where they want to pay those prices or are they going to be trying to, you know, turn over some other, uh, some other stones and find some cheaper options and maybe less, less sexy options, but you know, cheaper options to acquire.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Friedman's reporting matches what I'm hearing, which is that the Canucks are working the phones, <laughs> would love to bring in some reinforcements on defense, but you know what, Jamie, I'm hearing it's tough because of the flat cap. They're going to have to be creative. Um, Let's get to the lineup. Let's do it. So Christian will Meeting the Pucci rule. Yeah. Okay, which is that whenever we don't see Christian Willannon, we must be asking, where's Christian Willannon? Seems he's cleared to return to action in Abbotsford per Rick Tockett this morning. So that could be an option, you know, not tonight, but in the near future. Mark Friedman will get back into the lineup. Yep. Cole McWard was reassigned by the club prior to the skate. So that, that would suggest to me Juleson Friedman will be, you know, the fourth and fifth Canucks defenseman tonight. Well, let's talk and unpack McWard just a little bit. Well, I think what, what really stands out to me is actually
0: McWard in, you know, kind of pairing, in a sense, with Herosi. Right? Where Herosi came sure. up this most recent time, got one game. Uh, Her- of-
1: Hirose McWard's not as funny as Coleman. No, it's not. But yes, let's but you discuss know, he later. got he
0: got one game. Didn't play a whole ton in the game. Less then than ten minutes. Other other guys start to come in ahead of him. This is Hirose, oh, sorry. and then similar thing with McWard. Yeah, right. Comes in, plays under ten minutes. One game. Back down to Abbotsford. So I think you're, you can pretty clearly read into what the coaching staff thinks of them as options. not as players or prospects, but of options to help this team win right now. Yeah. In the here and now,
1: they're passing. Right. Yeah. Would- yeah, I think it's they're, fair they're to saying, say. Yeah, no, we, we're we going to try Matt Irwin yeah. potentially instead, right? They're not real options for the team, given the coach's assessment. Rick Tockett discussed the idea of seeing McWord giving him a taste, getting him back down the road to Abbotsford to keep developing. Uh, we'll see sort of where those guys can get to by the end of the season, right? Because, you know, Ryan Johnson likes to call uh, the AHL a Christmas league, mm. right? You expect players to begin to take a real step uh, in the new year. Uh, hopefully, these guys can and can be options for this team down the stretch because they don't seem to be right now, which means, in McWard's case, probably time to leave those John Marino comparisons <laughs> at the door, right? Um, which, of course, we, we were all sort of beginning to reference when McWard looked like he was in the driver's seat to open in the season camp, yep. in the lineup. Uh, same forward lineup tonight. Let's let's talk Kuzmenko really quick. Just fine in his return to action. Big game. Big game for the Canucks tonight feels like a big one for Kuzmenko. Like, if Kuzmenko can be a game-breaker tonight, you know, if Kuzmenko can make a difference tonight, man – doesn't that feel like it would go an awfully long way Towards solidifying his role Well,
0: And I think you know especially Against this type of opponent Not even just a good opponent but like this grinding, type Of yeah physical, grinding physical like yeah. Playoff tested opponent where you, Rick talk at his reference like hey Playoff teams don't do this or this is what it takes To win in the playoffs like I think he's already Evaluating his players on that standard he's looking For those things and this is an Opportunity obviously it's not a playoff environment But this is
1: a chance to show That you can do those things in that situation well, and a very telling response when asked like is Kuzmenko thinking too much because you're asking him to do these things that aren't his god-given natural ability to break down defenses and manufacture offense and his response and I thought this was just a great quote from him uh I think this was on Monday of this week was yeah you know he did that for a 500 team right Mm. like you know it's different what we're trying to do is different um this would be a good night to show that he can both generate help this team score and Fit the mold of what Tockett wants in terms of playing winning hockey. I just feel like this is a big one. Yeah. I, I like. I feel like if we get one of those shifts that's too long, one of those irresponsible, blo- like I don't feel like the leash is going to be long tonight, and and that makes this. You know, I don't want to like amp up the pressure or expectations from a negative standpoint because Kuzmenko has the skill to make the difference for this team tonight. Well, and, I just think it would be a good night for him to do it. And this is. This is the kind of game
0: where they might need that really extra bit of skill to get to the danger zone. Absolutely, that he can bring, right. Awesome. So, like, I don't think it's I don't think it's that he can't be an important part of the team in games like this. It's just you
1: need to go out and do it, yeah. right? Like, he can oh, help them. I think they I think they need him. Yeah, this is a game where they need that Patterson line to be going and generating, uh, because we know Vegas. Whether they get outshot or not They're going to be generating quality looks in dirty areas So Cole McWard down, Friedman into the lineup No changes at forward, Demko starts Demko starts his third in a row Mm -hmm. So he's now trending toward or pacing for 58 starts on the season um, Which is up a little bit from where he's been But sort of roughly the same range It's going to be really interesting now to see Do they give him Calgary, do they give him New Jersey Like are we about to get into a run of Demko starts? Yeah or are we in the midst of a run well, down starts. This will be 6 to 7,
0: so you know, if if he gets the next couple then you're looking at what like 8 of 9, that's a pretty
1: significant. Uh, yeah, and run that for and the, that would have him pacing for 60 starts for the first time all year. The, he he has he's been in the like yeah. high 50s yeah. pretty consistently.
0: Uh playoff forecast, not a lot going on on the ice relevant to the Canucks yesterday although the LA Kings did lose to the Capitals Canucks hold steady at 93 percent to make the playoffs 102 projected points of course per your guy Dom Lucision's model at the Athletic what I found interesting and relevant for tonight basically in a dead statistical projection heat with the Golden Knights right now Golden Knights actually at 92 percent to make the playoffs but you look at all of the other things you know the two teams basically have Uh, I think they're both projected at 102 points, almost identical projections to win the division, chances to finish in the top three, all of those different things. So you look at it, and two things stand out to me. I mean, one, interesting to see Vegas' chances start to bend down a little Mm. after their hot start. And, of course, that's related to Edmonton and Calgary and Nashville uh, climbing up a little bit as well. But the other thing is, hey, this has – Playoff seating and home ice ramifications. And, you know, before we got off into the tangent of is this for first place or second place, like the way I was looking at it is this could be a potential playoff preview. And you look at it where these two te- teams are projected to finish in the standings right now, and that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> that would be the most likely scenario is these two teams meeting in the playoffs in the first round.
1: Well, and especially if you're on – team drance in terms of thinking that the kings are the best team in this in the pacific so no it's a it's going to be a fascinating matchup there's also history between these teams among that among those things that is history between the canucks and the golden knights and we'll get into this as we get into the gambling odds vancouver's never beaten the vegas golden knights in regulation on home ice not once since vegas came into the nhl when I'm making Babaduke references, that's sort of what's <laughs> in my mind. This has been the big bad from a Vancouver Canucks perspective over the years. And yet, tonight, the Canucks favored at home against the Golden Knights minus 125 favorites. So they're not significant favorites. The implied probability there is, you know, 55, south of 55%, but nonetheless, meaningful that the Canucks are favored tonight. I think that reflects, we got a text in from Tambier being like, why is. Why is why are the yeah. Canucks favored tonight? He was hoping for plus money uh, <laughs> on Vancouver. I'm sure um, three of four for Vegas, right on the road, I believe. F- three of four, four yeah. of six. Mm. So uh, I think it's a fatigue adjustment, uh, at least that's playing part of the role. Because otherwise, you might expect to pick them. Like I-, I woke up, I would have thought this was a pick'em. Instead, the Canucks are favored. Over/under set at six and a half with steam on the under and plus money on the over, which is interesting to me. I, I don't know. Feels like a high-scoring game. Um just want to note Does too, it though with Demko and Hill? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, these we'll two see. teams these two teams, I think we're gonna see back and forth action tonight. I think it's gonna be fun. Um by the way, I wanna note this. Plus two fifty for the Canucks to win the Pacific today. That's down from plus six hundred just on Monday. Hope you bought wow. that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Hope you bought that and are like cashing it now. Like, that, well that- done. <laughs> That win over Anaheim really moved the needle. Well, apparently, I think I think it's more that Vegas yeah. hasn't had the most successful road trip, and yeah. that's context here too, right? If you're Vegas, you know you you lost to Calgary, you lost in a shootout to Edmonton, and that game required a comeback. Uh, this is a pretty important one to finish this road trip without, you know, having to crawl back to the Vegas Strip with your tail between your legs having been, you know, humbled relative to their usual excellent standard in Western Canada.
0: That is the whiteboard for today, November 30th on a game day. Canucks and the Golden Knights should be a good one. We'll continue to preview it. Take some of your texts, hear from Rick Talkett as well. All that coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.